The nature of software is that it accumulates technical debt over time. If you look at the portfolio of applications, the agility, the value goes down over time, while the cost, complexity, and risk go up over time. And the reason for that is really the accumulation of technical debt. The applications become more and more complex. And that is sort of the fundamental problem that we want to help organizations deal with. So we identify, manage, and help remediate architectural technical debt in applications. My name is Moti Rafalin, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at Vfunction. This is Code Story. A podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. I was proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grew. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, And today, how Modi Rafaline is building you a way to understand your software by enabling you to continuously modernize your architecture. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Modi Rafaline was born and raised in Israel. He spent half of his life there and the rest of his life in the States. He's a father of three kids, two of which are in college, and his family and he lives in the Bay Area. He likes to play tennis and travel. In fact, he's been to over 65 countries in his life and has lived in two continents. After attending AWS's reInvent, Moti left with the knowledge that the amount of innovation happening continues to grow and grow. And in the past, there wasn't a good way to ensure that applications weren't just lifting and shifting, but were fully taking advantage of proper functionality during their modernization process. This is the creation story of vFunction. Function, we we started by developing a platform to help modernize applications. So we use artificial intelligence to observe the architecture of applications and then automate the modernization of that architecture. Of course, this is relevant to any application that is out there. The nature of software that is that it accumulates technical debt over time. If you look 
at the portfolio of applications, the agility, the value goes down over time while the cost, complexity and risk go up over time. And the reason for that is really the accumulation of technical debt, the applications become more and more complex. And that is sort of the fundamental problem that we want to help organizations deal with. So we identify, manage and help remediate architectural technical debt in applications. We, we founded the company about six years ago after we attended reInvent. Every reInvent, you know, the CEO of AWS presents a chart that sort of shows the number of features and functionalities that were released in that year on AWS. And it's basically a hockey stick chart. And if you think about it, that is a proxy to cloud innovation. So there's a lot of innovation that's happening in the cloud, and that is a good way to represent that innovation, just the number of features and capabilities that are released. And so that is one side of the equation. The other side is how quickly can organizations really adapt to that innovation or take advantage of that innovation. And when you think about enterprises, they still have a lot of legacy applications. They need to modernize those applications so they can actually use the capabilities that the cloud has to offer. So if you only lift and shift or you just move applications as is to the cloud, you're not going to get the maximum value from the cloud. You really need to modernize those applications. And that is the problem that we decided to focus on. Tell me about the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? V-Function is it's a non-traditional company, or at least the way that we build it and the way that we're developing the company. The first thing that is not traditional is that the premise, right, or the thesis before founding the company was that this is the problem, but it's not clear that there is a technological solution to solve it. And it's not traditional because VCs usually like to invest in market risk, not in technology risk. And so we raised a relatively large seed round off to the races and started building this. For three and a half years, we built the technology you know, without actually getting to market. So that's not a traditional trajectory, obviously, because you just need a lot of technology to deliver the minimum viable product here, which is it needs to provide you sufficient value that you would want to use it. And when we hit the market after three and a half years, yes, we got some of the largest banks in the world to use it. So that was the first phase, building a basic technology that can first understand the architecture of applications, combination of dynamic analysis and static analysis and a lot of data science and machine learning that really helps you understand the architecture of your business logic. And then it allows you to identify domains within the application that you may want to decompose into microservices. And then we have an automation piece that takes those domains and basically extract that code into microservices. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. 
The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble, super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So then you've got your MVP. It's working. You're, you're gaining traction. How did you progress the product and mature it? Tell me about that, that evolution there that you mentioned. And I'm curious about how you went about building your roadmap and, you know, what sort of process or criteria you use to determine that, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or address with V-Function. There is a first order of issues that you need to solve, and then there is a second order. Okay, so the first order, you need to build a product that actually solves a real pain point, right? You want to make sure that customers are willing to pay money for it, that it actually solves a real pain point, that there's market for it. But that's just first order. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have a sustainable business yet. And in fact, that's what we happened to us. So we built the product and it was solving that problem, but we haven't gotten to Nirvana at that point because the challenge that we had there was that it was a one-time thing. Obviously, what investors and everyone wants for a sustainable business is to have a recurring kind of revenue business. So how do you make that something that is sort of recurring? So initially, we focused on first, let's solve the initial problem that we have a product that solves a problem, but it doesn't mean that we have a sustainable business yet. We got some really large deals, but those were one-time deals as part of modernization projects. So we were still struggling in terms of building business around it. And it took us some time then to solve the second order, which is, okay, how do we build a sustainable recurring revenue business from this? And that is when we understood that by simply changing sort of the packaging, positioning, and pricing of this product, you can actually address a much bigger market. And that is where we basically split our platform into two products. One, which is what we call architectural observability manager and the second product which is the refactoring engine if you think about it the architectural observability is something that you need for all your applications always before you modernize them and also after you modernize them because every application that you modernize you don't want to fight that war a second time because they would accumulate technical debt and then you need to refactor them again so if you observe the architecture and, you can, uh, and the platform can alert you whenever there's drift in the architecture, that there's more complexity, let's say the dom- there's more cr- cross-domain pollution, whatever the architectural issue might be, 
we're able to alert on that. So we can actually sell architecture observability for every application on an ongoing basis. And then you can add the refactoring engine add-on whenever you want to maybe extract services or decompose the application. And now we're building this much wider platform that actually gets us to a sustainable business. Let's switch to team then. So tell me about how you went about building your team. What did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? So first company I founded in 2008, I was fortunate to, to sell it to BlackBerry in 2015. So the core team was basically the team that worked with me in my previous company. So my two co-founders worked with me in my previous company, a company called Watchdogs that we sold to, to BlackBerry. And then many of the in, initial developers were also people that worked with me in the past. Some of the other management team, it's again people that I knew throughout my career. I've been doing this for quite a while. Before my first company, I spent seven years at EMC. So I did the corporate thing before jumping into the entrepreneurial world. And by the way, before that, I spent seven years in the Israeli Air Force. So I accumulated a pretty big network of people that work with me and that I appreciate. And so when I founded V Function, basically it was all people that worked with me in the past. Some people you know, worked with me at EMC and some even from my military days. So I'm going back almost 30 years. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech/slash code story and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O.tech/slash code story. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. Let's flip to scalability, and this will be interesting given what you're building did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or with scale in mind? Or have you had to fight this as you grew in any sort of capacity? One of the biggest mistakes or challenges in enterprise software is obviously building the go-to market and assuming that it's not a product-led growth or some kind of self-serve product. But let's talk about the classic 
heavy and high-touch enterprise software products. And that is the world that I'm familiar with. And that is also the world of V-Function. Scaling that, or at least the go-to-market there, that is the biggest challenge, right? Because it is so expensive. And when you hire salespeople, each sales team, you need to hire a salesperson and sometimes a sales engineer and an inside sales. So the entire team costs a, a good few hundreds of thousands of dollars. And of course, maybe half of the people that they hire are not going to pan out. So there is a lot of margin of error there. You're going to sp- you're going to burn through a lot of cash before you get to a well-functioning go-to-market team in enterprise software. And, and again, you don't have a lot of margin of error unless you hire, you know, unless you raise, let's say, 100 million, which is not our case. The way that we're approaching it is that we're only growing based on business results. So it's not that we hire, let's say, 15 salespeople and we spray and pray and we divide the territories and go hunt. We actually started with two salespeople, head of sales, salespeople, and then building the infrastructure around them to make sure that every salesperson that we hire meets or beats his or her quota. I don't believe in pre-hiring when it comes to, to sales. And I know that many VCs and others may, may disagree with this approach, but that is my conservative approach to build and go to market. And only when they hit or meet their quota, then we hire a second, like a third, fourth, fifth person. I rather miss some opportunities than pre-hire because if you pre-hire and your salespeople are not meeting your their quota that leads to a negative spiral morale is down there you're not able to recruit additional people later obviously people start leaving the company so I, i rather miss opportunities and not scale as fast as i could that i'm guaranteeing the success of the salespeople so as you step out on the balcony you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? There's satisfaction when I, I go back and I meet people and they're still using the product of my first company. Oh, you're using that product and you're happy. Yes. Wow, we built this 15 years ago and, and people are still using it and, and benefiting from it. I think that's one thing that I'm proud of, and maybe another thing is with what we're building here at V-Function, it's a really difficult problem. And people are sometimes pretty frustrated with their inability to modernize the application, understand the complexity. When they see what V-Function can do, there is a sense of hope. They see that, oh, there is, there is hope. I can actually fix this problem. I can actually modernize it with this type of technology. So it's selling hope versus selling fear is also something that I'm proud of. Okay, so let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Even when we started V-Function, our initial thesis was that maybe we can break applications in runtime so people can take advantage, let's say, of serverless and other kind of advanced cloud capabilities without actually modernizing them. So if we can break them in runtime and run them in a distributed manner and then can get the scalability and reduce cost, that might be something that people would want. And first of all, technologically, after working on it for a few months, we realized that it's more or less impossible. 
or will take decades. But the second mistake was that we eventually realized that people want to modernize not because of cost or scalability. It's really about engineering velocity and that you actually need to enable them to access the code. So you need to really break it at the code level and not in runtime. It's a mistake in the thesis of building the, the product, right, initially. And how we, got, we went about it was simply change our direction of what we were doing, going deeper into serving the developers and the architects and not the DevOps people in, in runtime. So this will be fun to ask. What does the future look like for V-Function, the product, and for your team? We still have a lot of work ahead of us because we're essentially creating a category. Some people are proud or happy or strive to create a category. Uh, It wasn't necessarily something that we wanted to do, but we ended up in a position that is what we're essentially doing because no such category or product existed until now. The future is that we're able to act, that we're successful in creating this category, that people understand that there is this notion of architectural observability. That is not something that exists today. There is obviously DevOps, like performance management, there is you know, network management, but there's no architectural observability, meaning observing the architecture on an ongoing basis and being able to manage it, remediate it, and so forth. So creating this category, that, that is where we're headed. And I think everything else will follow, right, in terms of uh, growth of the company, team. Um, of course, we would love to take this as far as we can in terms of standalone company. But when people ask me, uh, what is your exit strategy or whatnot, I, I dismiss this question because I don't think that that's something that as a founding team we, we should be thinking about. We need to focus on delivering value to our customers. And then how you realize it eventually, that that will just happen, right? Usually you would sell when you see some sort of a ceiling to the potential growth of the company. And currently I don't see it. We'll we'll take it as far as we can. Okay, let's switch to you, Modi. Who who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. The first one is just my military experience that helped me shape myself as, as an entrepreneur and a CEO. So the military experience, it's two things from it, okay? One, which is leading by example. That is something that I took from the military to the startup world, which I think is super critical. If you're running a startup, if you're the CEO, you'll, you're the one that will also do the dishes, take the trash, do whatever it takes, and then once you do it, everyone else does it, right? Or a flying coach versus business, or anything that you do. I don't believe in writing like the values of the company on the website. I believe in just being who you are and, and leading by example, right? So people will see how you behave and you act, and, and they will follow. Second thing that I took specifically from the Israeli Air Force is sort of the culture of debriefing. Before a mission and after a mission, you first brief and then debrief. And the concept there is that it's all about improvements, right? How can you do things better? It's not about blaming anyone, right? So people feel comfortable sharing their mistakes. 
and sharing what they did wrong because that's the best way to learn and to improve as an organization. So it's never about pointing fingers. It's never about blaming anyone. It's really about improving as a team. So that's the second thing that influenced me in terms of how we're building our company. We talked about a mistake, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? That had to be something that, you know, didn't work or it could have worked. It could have worked even well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. If, for example, there is someone that is toxic to the culture, don't wait in letting that person go. And that's an, another thing that, uh, again, in the beginning, I know that it's almost a cliche, right? Always people in the beginning of their career, they, they are slow to fire, right? The cliche that you never regret firing too soon or too early, but that's definitely something, uh, especially not necessarily on if someone is not performing well, that I, I do have patience and I think people should get additional chances to improve. But if it's a cultural thing, like if someone is toxic to the culture, no excuses to keep someone like that around. You need to act quickly. Again, that's something that probably didn't do in the early days. Today, hopefully, I'm more aware of this. All right, Modi, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit, several times? That it's all about product market fit. Until the fact that I get excited about it or you get excited about it doesn't necessarily mean you have product market fit. Until you feel that you have product market fit, be very frugal in terms of your spending. I like the analogy that one of my investors mentioned to me which is, it's like you're driving in a dark city, no lights, and your car doesn't have lights, the city has no lights, so it's completely dark. When you're driving in such a situation, you're not driving fast, you're going to drive very, very slow, right? It's not pedal to the metal, right? But once you have light, once you see what's happening, that's when you actually can increase the speed, and, and meaning, right, the analogy is obviously the spending and the burn. So once you actually get the product market fit, that is when you, you should increase the burn. You shouldn't have a 50 people team before you have product market fit. That is a mistake. You burn through the cash, you don't have a chance to correct course. Uh, at the end of the day, getting product market fit, yes, there are those that sort of just stumble upon it, but more often than, than not, it's a series of hundreds and sometimes thousands of changes and adaptations that you make to the product, to the positioning, uh, until you get there. And by the way, even once you get there, it's not necessarily a stable equilibrium, right? So you need to keep working at it and make sure that, you, that the market doesn't shift and, and you stay out of it. That's fantastic. Well, Modi, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of V-Function. My pleasure. Really enjoyed our conversation. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. 
Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.